being around people that know how to worship the Lord. Part of the revelation entering into the presence of the Lord, the heal of the Lord, is the fact is it's not just when we come together, we just come to Him. Part of as a pastor, I'd like to see for every one of us that we feel equipped. Whatever crisis you may face, and we have some that we'll face, and you've already been there, done that, and I hope you never have that again. But in the midst of all of that, there's a place that you can shorten the times that you pass through that. And you shorten it by how you minister unto the Lord instead of ministering to the problem. When you're ministering to the Lord, He can move in and take care of the problem. When all we're doing is focusing on the issues at hand and we magnify them and make it big and not done belittle anything that person, anyone's gone through. But there's something about when we allow Him to get in front and center of everything that we're dealing with and confronted with, the presence of the Lord just takes over from everything from that point. This week has been just a, an interesting week. Sometimes God can do things so subtly that you, it happens and you have to go back and think, wow, that just took place. This, this week in Love Indeed, Pastor Frankie was telling me that, I think it was he and Candy had prayed for a lady, just as they do every week. There wasn't anything spectacular. She has had been diagnosed and been treated for colon cancer. Just prayed over her. Wasn't any tambourines, any shouting, it was just a prayer. She went on her way, and then when she came back, I guess this week, she told them, she went to the doctor, which is checkups, what they do, just to confirm to you, you're a mess. She came back and said, the doctor told her, we can't find any colon cancer in your body at all. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Then during the week, I was here and was in office and all of a sudden I felt pain coming in my leg and I just collapsed. Like some of the staff members saw, I couldn't walk. I was limping. So I thought, I'm just going to shake it off, you know. That's what men do. We shake it off. We don't want to shake it off. We just shake. <laughs> hoping it gets off. Went on for a couple more days and man, just couldn't, just couldn't even thought I was walking. I was going to have to sit down. I didn't know how I was going to make it. Got things coming up. I need to be walked. So I, I told Diane, she said, how long has this been going on? I said, three days. She said, how come you didn't tell me? I said, <laughs> I said, I don't know. I'm a man. What do I say? <laughs> Until I can't do it anymore. So she comes over and lays hands on me and starts praying. And she just saying, she just starts not praying solutions, not praying a bunch of scripture. She's just saying, Jesus, we need you. Jesus, we need you. It was that in the evening, got up the next morning, and I haven't had any pain left. I'm not limping around. <laughs> we need to learn to deny the devil the right to afflict us. It is illegal. It is illegal. He's trespassing on holy ground. There's, a, there's an interesting place in Scripture, you find it in Exodus 3 and 4, where Moses is coming before God and he said, take your shoes off for the ground you're standing on is holy. 
And the word sandals are actually for shoes, but sandals is a word that means anything that comes between me and God. That was the word he used for sandal. Get, take them off. I don't want anything. I want you to touch holy ground. He didn't say you have to get off holy ground. I don't want anything to insulate you from the holy place, a sacred space. We can begin to declare over ourselves this is sacred ground, not because of we did anything special, but because of the blood of Jesus, and he sanctified it and said, you now belong to him, and you are sacred and holy unto the Lord. So we're in a time where we're going to have to know how to fight these battles and not just take it on the chin and just say, well, that's the way it is, que sera, sera. It is, hey, took me a couple of days to figure out this isn't a, this is not normal. This is a, an attack against me physically. And so Diane came in. This is what spouses do, right? And say, this is illegal. You cannot touch it. You have no right here. Get off here. Slept great that night. So I'm telling you, there's something about the Lord is teaching and training our hands to fight and our fingers to war. Yes. Yes. Or the other way around. Fingers fight, hands war. Is that one of the greatest things that you'll ever learn is how to deal with and confront things that God sent is off limits to holy ground. Amen. Doesn't mean that you can't call some, get some help and all that, but it doesn't do any good to say, well, it's just the way things are, I'm getting older, whatever. No. Whatever you accept, you receive. You go into Thessalonians, talks about the Antichrist is already at work. Think about it. It's already at work. And the ones that allow it to work will let it. So the Antichrist is already in the earth. The anti-anointing, the anti-Christos is already in the earth. And the ones who allow it will allow it. So that tells me that there's a place that we don't have to allow it. We just say, no, it doesn't belong to me. And I'm refusing it, rejecting it. And I'm calling on the name of the Lord to re-energize me and fuel me for the next season. Every time I've had to go through something like that, I learn something out of it. If you're going through something, ask the Lord, what am I supposed to learn in the process of this? So I can take the test and graduate. Get on with this. Move out of this. Hallelujah. Instead of just saying, why me, Lord? Well, when you submitted yourself to the Lord and you're willing to go in the presence of God, that happens. So, all right, you kids are free to go back to the back and we're, we're not on any scheduling here, as you can see. Amen. So glad to see everybody. We just felt the presence of God and we wanted to linger there and take time to say, Lord, it's greater to hear from you than hear from me. It's greater to feel your presence than I can, I can go online and get out sermons everywhere. I just need to feel your presence. Amen. Also, you ladies that have signed up for uh, uh, the Friends, what are, you, what are you calling that? Is that name? Friends, one-on-one, yeah, energizing one another. There's a sign-up list out there, and today's the last day you'll be able to sign up for that. And then August 24th, Kristen will be hosting the kickoff of this at her house. And so there'll be more uh, instructions and some information coming. So if you're not on flock note, see Pastor Dwayne, Pastor Frankie, and they'll show you how to get on flock note. Flock note is for those who are members here and you get information really quickly, come through text, come through email. It's the best way to, to connect with that. So we're happy for that to take place. All right, turn with me if you would 
to um, to First Corinthians three. I'll get there in just a moment. I want to do a quick introduction here because I know we've had plenty of time that I never want to rush the presence of God in any way because you can have an encounter in the Lord in just a moment more so than hearing someone speak. But I've been talking about the foundations and we take it out of the text of Psalms 11 and verse 3 when it said, if the foundations are destroyed, what will the righteous do? In other words, there was a time that the foundations were destroyed, but the righteous, those who coming into Revelation understanding who God is, they understand what to do. If I would ask you, what is the greatest sin? We'd have all kinds of things of the greatest sin is thievery, murder, and we'd have, we'd categorize sin. But all sins throughout the scripture, morally, immorally, whatever it might be, stems from one sin. And that is in the very beginning, rebellion against God. The devil doesn't mind you just getting wrapped up in all about a sin or sins of sin. We have a sin nature, fallen nature. But the very sin that entered into man was the, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil was when man, Adam and Eve, the creation of God, that God placed them in this environment. He said, I want you to take dominion. Dominion is not a word of, of taking masculinity over somebody else, a hierarchical, hierarchical thing. But dominion means to bring something to the potential that God calls it for to be. So when God created that space and that time they called us the garden, that it was that point where God declared it to be his presence and in that, that his voice would come walking in the garden. How do you know what a voice walks? It moves in such a way that was revitalizing, renewing, refreshing Adam and Eve because they were tuned to the presence of God. They enjoyed, delighted, looked forward to that. After that sin, the first introductory to sin was when that Eve, Adam, they're both culpable, heard God's, heard this serpent say something or introduce a separate thought other than what God intended for them to be. So all sin revolves around rebellion against God when you think about it. Well, I'm not rebellious. I'm trying to do the best I can. Well, anytime that Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So love is not, and we'll get into it a little bit later, love is not an emotional thing, but love is submitting ourselves to the creator of the universe. So when they sinned, they no longer had the access to the presence of God. They no longer heard the voice walking in the garden. So when they heard a sound, they ran from it. Before that, they were running towards it. We can tell where we are in our relationship with God as we run from what he's saying or we want to run to what he's saying. That it draws us into fellowship with him or it pushes away or we become angry because when the word of God said, or we get angry when worship comes about is because there's something about it just stirs that up is because there's a conflict between a, that sin then and then there's a lot of other sins that stir out of that. And so I'm looking at the foundations. He said, the Lamb of God was slain from the very foundation of the world before the world ever existed. God had a foundation and built that foundation. Now look in 1 Corinthians 3, give you a quick introduction. And then as I promised last week, I'm going to get into the one, there's a foundation of marriage, but I want to connect it with, if you're not married, that's fine. You can still see it in any relationship. All right, pick it up and. In uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 
Um, verse 10. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, as Paul saying, I have laid the foundation. I've laid the foundation and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on that foundation. For no other foundation can anyone lay except this foundation. When Adam sinned, God had a foundation that could not be broken. The foundation that they had based upon the relationship with God was broken. But God's foundation, which is everything is connected to the foundation of God. Every act of faith, every act of belief, every sense of who God is, is built upon that foundation. And Paul goes on to say it right here. No other foundation can anyone lay than this, which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Each one's work will become evident or clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work as to what sort it is. At the end of the age... One of the points of looking at or being judged, well, what have you done with the foundation that Jesus laid? With the foundation that Jesus laid, what did we do with that? Well, some would say, I'm just hanging out here until I can go to heaven. He laid a foundation for the intent for us to build something upon that. Jesus said in Matthew 16, about verse 18, I will build my church the ecclesia, those who are called to govern in authority from heaven to earth. I will build my ecclesia, the, the authority on heaven to earth. That's what he's saying. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It will not prevail against the church I'm building. It may prevail against everything else that we're building. If that foundation we're building is not founded upon the foundation, which is the foundation of Jesus himself, nothing else works with that. Now, 2 Timothy 2.19, this is a quick introduction, we'll get into the meat of it in just a moment. Paul said to Timothy, who's a young pastor, this was his last letter to Timothy, he said, nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, having this seal. God has sealed a foundation. The Lord knows them that are his, and let everyone that names the name of Christ, the foundation, depart from iniquity. Iniquity can be generational sin, but it can be something inside of a person, propensity, iniquity means to bend or lean towards, that causes a person to continually to go back to an old thing. If the iniquity is in there, then that has to be broken because as soon as we build, start building on the foundation, things getting strong, and the next thing is we go back to the vomit that the Bible talks about. The dog always returns to his filth. He said, those who name the name of Christ depart from iniquity or depart from something that causes it to be anti-Christ or anti-like Jesus. If everything that we put on this foundation, it has to have who he is built on that foundation. If you're building a life together, it's got to be on that foundation of, of the Lord Jesus himself in that, in that regard. Now, when God commanded Adam to take dominion over the garden, he's literally saying, I'm holding you in charge. Now, you've all heard people say, and it's, it's kind of an interesting thing they, they like to throw out at theologians. If God is who he is, then why do we have the things, the problems that we have? Why do we have abortion? Why do we have this killing? Why do we have all of this corruption? Why do we have all of this? And the answer is really simple. Because he told Adam, I want you to take dominion. Which means I'm leaving you in control of what goes on in this garden. You have the right to even sin. You're that much in control. 
But God is in charge. There's a big difference. He has charged Yahweh of everything, but we have control. When something goes on in our sphere of influence, we are responsible because we have control on that. But what happens when sin enters in, blame enters in even in a greater way. The very nature, many times as that happened in the garden, is God, that woman you gave me, she did it. When the glory of God departs, immediately blame enters in. Because fallen nature does not want to accept responsibility that I had, I was in control and things didn't go the way. It was someone else that caused the problem. And as long as we're continually putting off somebody else, if I wasn't in this situation, if I was born in a better family, somewhere else with some other kind of condition, if I was born in a different age, then I wouldn't have this. You're still in control. You're bought with a price, the blood of Jesus and the dominion of the father is inside of you. And we are there with the authority as the kingdom of God. And he talks about that we're kings, priesthood that is kings. And at that point, we have the power and the authority as a king would to take control of the situation. So there's, when we feel helpless, the devil loves that because it means I'm, I, have, I can't do anything about it. Yes, you can. That's the first lie. It's not my fault. That's the second lie. You want to go on the third lie? And the third lie is, I never had a chance. That's the third lie. So when the fact is that he's put us in control, I have to go back and say, where did I lose control? Because when I lost control, I gave control away to the enemy. Before Adam and Eve sinned, they were in complete control of the garden. And the devil was there, obviously. But they were in control whether they'd accept the, the, the idea if you eat of this tree, then you'll become like God, which is deception. They were still in control at that very moment. When at that moment, when they ate, the glory of departed, Ichabod came. At that moment, they lost control. They gave away control to, to the fallen nature. The spirit of the, or the Antichrist, the spirit of anti-God came into the garden. Now hear me with this. When we start feeling like I have no control or I'm trying to take control that I wear in places I don't have control. If you try to take control over another person and you don't have control over yourself, you're deceiving yourself. Insecure people want to dominate other people. But unless we can control the person between our own elbows, we have given up the authority. If I can control self... Because the Bible says an angry man is like a, a city with broken down walls. He has no defense. If you have self-control, then God would give you godly control over that sphere of influence. And he can trust you with greater things as a stewardship. But the first thing we have to steward is ourself. Not stewarding our wives or children or them. Though we're, we are stewardship of that. But I have to control myself before I can lead anybody else in that regard. All right. God wants to restore the fallen scaffolding foundation of taking dominion. If you don't hear anything else, I want you to do this. You are in control. Look at someone say it. I never, I hate doing that, but nonetheless, you are in control. Though you may not feel like it, and I'm not saying you're in control of something else, somebody else. I'm in control of my house, especially when something's broken. 
You are in control in the relationship between you and God. You can shut or you can open. If I'm blaming God for what's going on, then I have shut myself out and I'm blaming God. I am in control of what goes my, between me and God in worship. I'm in control of my prayer life. I'm in control of my relationship with God. Not my spouse, not anybody else, not even the pastor of this church is in control of your, your time of worship. We can provide an environment for that. Now here's what's interesting in that. Hebrews, the 10th chapter in verses 5 and 6. Christ came in the world and he said, you do not want sacrifices or offerings, but you have prepared a body for me. That's, you ought to have that underlined, highlighted with neon. You have prepared a body for me. You do not ask for burnt offerings, offerings to take away sin. The foundation of all foundations is that one thing that he's called. He's prepared a body for himself. Upon the, res the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he transferred the dominion and power back. What Adam gave up, he transferred it back in to the body of Christ. He said, the Lord has prepared a body for him. Twofold there, obviously it's the body of Jesus became the body that the Holy Spirit filled. He was baptized and he was the body of the anointed one. When Jesus left this earth and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel. All the world he's talking about was the 70 nations that lost their, lost their faith and their heart towards God, their Tower of Babel. And God confused all the languages. There were 70 nations that became 70 different languages. Jesus later on sends out the 12 and then he sends out the 70 of his plan is, I want to rebuild the nations. I'm going after the nations. I'm going to tear down those strongholds and the demonic spirits that have control over these nations. But I'm going to start right now with you building my name and the, and the foundation inside of you. Building that foundation that has a place of the presence of God that you will launch every prayer, launch every spirit of the faith, launch everything from that point. Now, we'll see in just a moment. Without a foundation, we have difficulty praying. Without a good foundation, we have difficulty worshiping. Without a good foundation, we have trouble in every relationship we'll ever deal with. Now, in Genesis 3, God decreed this when he cursed the serpent and he said to them, God sovereignly, sovereignly means solely reigning, solely reigning or sovereign. God sovereignly decreed that there would be enmity or hatred, a dividing line between the seed of the woman, which is to be Christ, but out of the seed of the woman became the body of Christ. So when he says, a body you have prepared for me, he wasn't just talking about himself. Because when Jesus went away, he transferred it from his body into the body of the anointed one. So on the day of Pentecost, when Jesus took his blood into the holy of holies and laid it there on the, on the altar of the mercy seat in heaven, which was the original, and the Holy Spirit came to earth with those that were waiting in the upper room for the idea was to transfer what was the body of the anointed one, and now into the body of Christ, those who are believers. There was infilling into the house of God. You are the house of God. The fire setting upon them, 
was in, in Old Testament times of Levitical. They would sanctify a new synagogue. They would build a fire on top of the synagogue. And they would say, this is now the house of God. So the fire setting upon them was not just tongues to speak, tongues of fire to speak in tongues. It was a sanctification, dedication. You are now the house of God. You are now the body of the anointed one. You have everything inside of you necessary to live out on earth in the same way and same power and authority that Jesus did. Greater things than these will you do because I'm going to my Father. Where greater there doesn't mean more spectacular, it means more of them. Because Jesus was one, he was the body of the anointed one, and then he transferred his authority and all power in heaven and earth, and he transferred it into you and I. So we should be thinking about every day, wherever we go, where can I function as the body of the anointed one? I, you may be in Walmart trying to buy dog food, but I'm telling you, the body of Christ is there in Walmart wanting to do the business of the kingdom of God. Amen. Whatever you're looking for and you're trained eyes to do it, you'll be able to start operating under the authority and the power of the body of the anointed one. And when we start operating under the power and the grace he's given to us, greater things than they will do. And you'll have greater authority to push back the gates of hell. I'm saying all of this for to recognize that he has built a foundation that we stand on, not by our righteousness, but who he is. You have firm footing that you say, in the name of Jesus, Satan, get behind me, and you know him, then it has to happen. If I don't think it will happen, or I believe the lie that it'll never happen, then nothing moves. But the body of the anointed one on earth as it is in heaven, your hands, feet, is your mouth and eyes, everything there, is that all of the things 1 Corinthians talks about, the parts of the body is with you. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about all of the parts being, all these members, we have different functions in, in different places. It was never meant to be to where it happened on Sunday morning between the hours of 10 and 12 o'clock. If we only reduce the gifts of the Holy Spirit to the time it happens here by a few people who, who have the anointing to move in that way, then we need to realize the fact is we don't understand how the body of Christ operates. You should recognize first and foremost that he's wanting to use you right where you are all week long and wherever you are. And that means you're no longer employed by somebody else. You're no longer on the clock, which you may be in a natural way, but in the supernatural way, you're operating and employed by the king of all kings. If you recognize that you are the body of the anointed one with two feet, two arms, two eyes, and you're looking and seeing where you can impart the spirit of God. God didn't want a religious response from us. He didn't want a kind of religious, you know, action. Well, brother, if you get right with God, then, you know, you wouldn't have all these problems. That, that may be true, but that's not where they are. The Spirit of God would move upon you, give you a discerning heart, what the Spirit of Christ, the body of Christ, would say to them. And I have a good feeling it's not based upon what we feel about them. Okay. Now, I want to talk about the one foundation. There's many about the re restoring the foundation of marriage and relation. I say marriage, if you're not married, it's, it connects with relationship. So everybody take a deep breath. And don't worry, I'm not talking about anybody. I'm talking about me. Paul said in Ephesians 5, more about marriage than any other single writer. He never was married. So he wasn't speaking out of experience. He was speaking by revelation. Amen. 
He was caught up into the heavens, third heaven we believe. He saw things that he were not, wasn't supposed to say or didn't understand. But he goes on to talk about marriage. She'll be as, as a man shall leave father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one. The unity of togetherness is the foundation. Just as Jesus says, the father and I are one. To operate in the same way that the Father and the Son would operate together gives you that greater sense of power and authority in a marriage than the fact of two people living together because they're help trying to make one another, you know, make a living. But he goes on to say, and he said, I'm really speaking concerning Christ and the church. And to understand really how to be married, we have to understand about Christ and the church. He uses marriage as a way of microcosm to see something at a, at a greater macro level. First of all, he says more, it says more to the men than the, than the ladies there. Sorry to say. I didn't write the book. I'm just the messenger. Don't kill me. But he says, as, as Christ laid down his life for the church, so a man laid down his life for his wife. Build, rebuilding the foundation, one of the hardest things is that nowhere in marriage can you be successful if there's any selfishness there. If you come into the marriage with the idea of saying, how can I get my needs met? You're going to do this and you're going to do this and I'll, I'll do this. But the idea with marriage was that Christ laid down his life and we couldn't do anything for him. It was all him, but we're willing to submit to that. And then he goes on to say, wives, submit yourself to husbands, which... which People have got misunderstood that word submission there means come under the mission. What is the mission? The mission is the two shall become one. And as one under the, under the covering and the authority of God himself. Submission is not about, you know, I got to do what you tell me to do. That's not what it's saying at all. Coming under the mission, agreeing that the mission is submit yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up in due season. Now, obviously, there are certain roles that husbands and wives play that causes there to be a unity. There's things that Jesus did and the Father did, but they were still considered one. Jesus came to represent the Father. He's always talking about the Father. In a good marriage and relationship, you don't find a, a wife tearing down her husband or a husband tearing down the wife, that even public, private, whatever it is. But in the presence of God, we're one and we're there and the, to oversee the foundation of marriage because it is a powerful foundation that gives us a catapult to destroy the works of the devil. Amen. Marriage was not just meant for the idea of procreation. If you did that, we could do something scientifically. People, some people do it anyway. But it was the idea of a covenant that one was laying down who they were, the two becoming something totally different. I'm not asking to be like me. We're going to come together and there'll be something different about this, the uniqueness of that. So when the foundation of marriage is understood, according to Proverbs, the threefold cord is not easily broken. When the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace is together in a marriage, it is very powerful. It is very powerful. In fact, husbands and wives praying together is more powerful than you praying with the biggest known, well-known intercessor that you've ever heard of. Because they have a, there's three levels of, of actually there's four levels of, of love. Most of us would know this. But when you see all these levels, you would see it in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Agape being the one was a covenantal love that only God could perform and do. That is not based upon emotions, not based upon a contract. A contract is agreement between two people of equal ability to fulfill the contract. A covenant is not a contract. Because when God made a covenant through his son of concerning us, he knew that man would break his covenant. Man could not keep covenant. That's why God set Abraham out, put him to sleep, and, and the father and the son made covenant at that moment. So when God makes covenant with himself, he cannot deny it. Though we may break covenant, he will not. So agape love is the God kind of, of love that has faith installed with it. The second kind of love is we say phileo, Philadelphia, we get that word, means a friendly friendship based on the soul. So we have the Father, we have uh, uh, the soul, the Holy Spirit, Sukikos, that says we become friends, we're relational with this, we, we communicate with one another. If you don't have good communication in the marriage, then, then you won't have that strength and the unity. Right. So what's communication? You talk about stuff that doesn't really matter. Let that soak in. Diane does not want to be the last one to hear what I've been saying out telling everybody else. If your husband is the last one to hear what's going on with you, you have not yet honored him. And wives, if everybody else is hearing out before your husband knows about it, then you've not honored him. Communication, koinonia, means the fact is we're saying, speaking, even things that doesn't matter. Let me just give you an example. Have you ever heard the illustration where it said, it, friend calls up, spouse calls up, it is so good to hear your voice. If I've been on the road for a while, and I have called Diane after I've landed, she'll say, it's good to hear your voice. Not that we're going to say anything wonderful. Other than the fact, I love you. Not that you're going to say anything that's outstanding. Just simply to hear your voice. That is communion. Communication. If you just come in, plop out yourself and don't say anything, <clears throat> it's time for dinner, <clears throat> time to go to bed, <clears throat> time to get up. <laughs> then it hasn't been communicated, just a grunting. And some of you guys are some pretty good grunters. And if it wasn't for your wife being able to read minds and read grunts, then not a lot of things would happen. <laughs> Act like cavemen. She wants to hear your voice. In the same way that Jesus, who is the husband over the body, and the two, that like Jesus says to his church, he wants to hear our voice. But if the only time Diane talked to me was when there's a problem, and she called up and I thought, oh, here we go again. How many of us really talk to Jesus about, don't have anything to ask, don't have any problems, and I'm not complaining about anything. I just need to hear your voice. Develop an ear to hear the voice of the Lord. Jesus talked about when he was with his disciples at the Last Supper. Actually, it was a, it was a Seder. You've heard me say this many times. He took the third cup, which is called the cup of blessing or the cup of betrothal. The young man drank from that cup and then his fiancée drank from it. It was a sign to each other that I, I'm given myself to you. I'm waiting for you to return. Then Jesus goes on to say, I will not drink of this cup again until I drink it in my Father's kingdom. At the, we believe that to be the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
There's things that Jesus has holding and preparing us in the presence of God that's going to be outstanding. But like Christ is with the church, so is one becomes one with her husband and wife. He wants us to communicate and commune with nothing else. Have you ever sat down with your spouse and say, five years from now, I'd like for us to be da-da-da-da-da. Five years now, I'd like for this to happen. You know, we, I want to get out of debt and we're going to do this and we're going to have a ton of children. Maybe not so, but anyway. <laughs> have vision for what you're believing God for. Because when you in, have vision with someone, it means I trust you that we're going with longevity here. So the foundation is very profitable in the kingdom of God because the very thing Jesus said for this very reason that I came is to destroy the works of the devil. You as a married couple are in a relationship that you destroy the works of the devil in a much, much more powerful way than by yourself. Two, two have better things going on better than anything else. All right, look in Psalms in Proverbs 24, verse 3. The key to successful relationships and you might be surprised to hear this, that the success of marriage is, is not love. And I'll tell you why. If agape represents the father and the, the phileo represents the Holy Spirit, then the eros represents the son, intimate. And then there's another one called sorge, which means just a, a, a maternal instinct with people and family, though you don't even know, you're not even around your family, there is some kind of love connection. But the greatest of those, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit build up the foundation of what real love is. And none of the things that I've said have no emotional thought except for the intimacy with Christ in the church. When we are have, and we're talking about in the presence of God and that kind of intimacy, anytime that there's an intimacy with Christ the husband, I'm using that term, there's always an exchange of the word or the seed. If you can tell that you've been intimate with the Lord, there's something that you go away with understanding that he's revealed to you, spoken to you from where you are. Rebecca was giving the testimony that she had vision of Jesus cupping her, her face. That spoke volumes, went away with saying something to her. So why do we need to be in the presence of the Lord, not just have a good time singing songs as we did this morning, but there's an exchange of his seed. Now, when he said to the serpent, the seed of the woman is Christ coming, but this Christ coming is also going to have another body, and this other body is going to be so strong that it will, it will crush your head, though you'll bruise its heel. We should be crushing the head of the serpent. You're crushing the head of the demonic. You're crushing the head by, by putting down every lie, putting down the things that would resist what the will of God is saying to you. If you're having to point of blaming, that, then the enemy loves that. That's not crushing his head. When you come together and you pray, then that's crushing the head of the enemy. And something dynamically begins to happen. So the key to success relationship is not love. No one ever entered into marriage with the idea, I hate him. I hate her. I'm going to marry him. (laughs) 
we would probably enter in with the idea of that 60s song that says, all you need is love. I just dated myself. I take myself out all the time on a date. And I just date myself. If, we, if the idea was that, that if all we need was love and love was the thing, may start it in with that, then a few years down the line, where did love go? Because love is not an emotion. Love is a covenantal position with the Lord that's built on a foundation. And the foundation holds up everything. So when you're having difficult in a relationship or in marriage, you can do it either way, you have to look at there's something going on there that's not right because every, every foundation is built upon the foundation of Christ. Is there something going on between me and the Lord that's not building a strong relationship in the household? Someone refuses to die. Years ago, I was in a, another place and the pastor asked me, so would you mind counseling with this couple? And this couple had just come through an affair. And they were both just claiming to be Christians. And after I saw for a moment, I understood why the pastor wanted me to do it. He said, you'll go out, you're going to leave, and they don't care if they like you or not. I have to stay here. And I said, it's kind of cowardly, isn't it? So anyway, I was standing there and talking with them. They started off cursing. I, let me go back to the Texas way. They were cussing, releasing F-bombs right in front of me and all this and just cursing, cursing, cursing. And all I could see was two little Pac-Man sitting on each other's shoulders. And they were demons. And this demon would say, tell him that he never was a good pro this or that. Tell her that she never was this or that. And they, they felt anointed. They felt empowered by the things that they were saying, which all the time they were tearing down the foundation. Because of the foundation falls, what would the righteous do? The righteous having a place and authority with the kingdom of God. So if the foundation is torn down, what will they do? They are, they are knocked out of power. One of the reasons that the temple was destroyed by the enemy and God allowed it in 70 AD was that it, when worship is, is destroyed, it takes away the power of a nation. So we're right now and fewer people are attending church than ever before. Less people are involved in, in, in relational worship with God less than ever before. The devil will do everything to replace something with the genuine relationship and intimacy with the Lord. Because you're powerful when you are one with each other. Now, all right, here it is. Proverbs 24 and verses 3 and 5. Yeah, I want to read it out of this translation. Hang on. This is how you build a house. Through wisdom, a house is built... And by understanding, it is established. And by understanding, it is established. And by knowledge, the rooms are filled with precious and pleasant riches. Three things he's talking about. Wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. That wisdom is the applied knowledge. We can find out where Peter says in 1 Peter, it's in part of the, my book, Power of Blessing, says, Husbands, dwell with your wives according to Knowledge. Knowing about women, knowing about what they think, knowing how they feel. Who can know that? 
So, well, that would be it. He's the one that started the foundation. But here's the deal. According to knowledge, it means seeing it the way Jesus sees it. So wisdom is applied knowledge. Knowing how God feels about it and applying what he feels about it becomes wisdom. When Solomon, with all of his, his uh, connection, trying to get right with God and wanting all these things, and God gave him that access to what he want, he could have asked for anything, more riches, more, of, more, more territory, more buildings. But he said, I want wisdom to know how to come in and get, go out. Show me how to apply what you're going to show me. So dwelling together in marriage is not, I know your behavior. And it says giving honor to the weaker vessel. The word weaker there does not mean muscular. I've seen some women could bench press more than me. So it doesn't mean that. But it does mean precious. Giving honor to the weaker or the precious. Knowing that she must be protected because the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace is very powerful and it, it, it helps build and strengthen the foundation for life. And then he goes on to say that Jesus is made unto us wisdom. So when he, the Proverbs is saying, and, and Solomon put it together, he says, every house is built with wisdom. Wisdom meaning understanding how God feels about it and thinks about it. So I need to feel out how does God think about marriage? How does he think about what I'm doing in my marriage? Because I, ultimately, I'm, I'm there to please him. Submit myself to the Father of lights, James 1.17. And when I do that, then I've strengthened the foundation that I'm living in. So the first thing is, is with wisdom. And wisdom is understanding, getting how to apply the knowledge that I have. And then the second thing that they go on to say... And through understanding, it is established. Established meaning it has longevity. It can't be uprooted. Understanding means to, to understand how, what God's purpose is wanting to do here. Now, we would say it more like a blueprint. If you were building a house, building something, you would look at the plans and you would have understanding of how it is supposed to come out. So understanding means, God, what is it that you want my marriage to look like? What is it supposed to be? What, am I, what the goals am I trying to reach with that? That's understanding. So dwell with them according to understanding. That's not understanding her or him, but understanding what does God want it to look like? Because if I'm represented the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, there's something powerful about it when I get understanding and saying, this is what God wants to do. And you'll find the enemy will attack the understanding. He'll attack every part of your marriage and, and cause distrust, mistrust, misunderstanding, misopportunities, simply to keep us powerless so that we don't become in the one, the unity of the spirit. All right, here's the next part of that. So not only with understanding, but last is, is knowledge. With knowledge, the rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. So in other words, when, when the foundations of, of marriage comes together, the whole house is filled with some very valuable things. Let me just see this. If you're finding chronic problems in relationship, not only in marriage, with all kinds of that, nothing works out. It's always, always a bumpy ride, always difficult, can't seem to get ahead. Go back and look at the foundation because we're stewards of that foundation. But whatever you're building on that, riches, gold, 
All the things he said will be tested by fire. The things that will last are the things that will endure the testing. Wood, hay, and stubble will all be burned up. So he's saying to us that marriage is so important that it even rests the kingdom of God upon. And he will cause things to fill your house, your rooms, riches and, and financial blessings and, and spiritual authority and all of the things that will fill those rooms if that foundation is correct. There are a lot of ministries that I just know of in the last, last six months that God has brought testing on. And they found out that they weren't what it appeared to be that other people knew them to be. Because you can learn how to operate in a gift and you can be really charismatic in personality and you can really sound really good and really spiritual. But then if it has no effectiveness because the power, the manifest presence of God that manifests, that causes the blind to see and, and the lame to walk, those things happen when the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace with, with him. We can have faith to operate a gift and God doesn't take the gift back, but it can sure have an, a, a fall, the fallen nature of that have an effect on so many other people. All right. And lastly, what do you believe that you, God wants to fill in these rooms that represent your capacity? What is your capacity of marriage? If you look at one another and say, well, here's our capacity, then lift your eyes a little farther and say, what is the capacity that God wants us to have dominion over? Responsibility over, accountability over. And when we fulfill that and we've honored the Lord with our lives and giving, Diane and I were having this conversation recently. I said, one of the things that I see in churches that I travel with, as people get older and they've done the deed, they've all their life and they've been faithful Lord and come down and said, all of a sudden they think, well, you know, I've, I've done all these things, all these things. And they end up taking on a lukewarm position. The older you get, the more wiser you should be. The older you get, the more effective you should be. The older you get, there should be this determination that I have just started and I'm going to finish strong. I'm going to finish well. I'm not, I'm not down, downgrading. I'm going with to the presence of God in a greater dimension than ever before. Being fiery, you cannot, stay, uh, you cannot maintain the fire for a long time physically, but you can maintain the presence of God forever. There's times when there'll be a manifestation of the presence, the revival, the power of God comes, falls upon people, does certain things, manifestation of the Holy Spirit, and he'll lift and move on a little bit because we can't withstand that. If revival broke out here today and we started having to have services every day, 24-7, how many want revival? We've been there. <laughs> I can tell you, you'd think, oh, if God brings revival, you wouldn't be tired at all. <laughs> I wish I could say that was true. But here's the thing. Your hunger for God just continues to go on and on and on. And when you're in the anointing, he, re he renews you like the wings of the eagle and you, you move forward with him. You can go crash and we had to have, you can have other teams, other people come in ministry and take all that up. But you have to first of all say, do we have the foundation as a church to hold revival? Yeah. 
Do we have, we have the, a scaffolding, the foundation in our marriage to, to stand moving in a higher place and seeing signs and wonders and miracles? Because sometimes we, we're asking God and praying one thing, but our capacity or we haven't allowed him to have rooms in all of the house. So he's talking about with knowledge, you fill all the rooms, the capacity. First of all, is, as I said earlier, the devil loves drama. He will keep you stirred up. He'll keep you distracted. He'll keep you focused on so many other things that have no eternal value. Look at this thing. Look at that thing. And there's some things that are needful. I understand that. But when there becomes the foundation of truth operating in your life, then you know, I'm not going to go after that. I'm going after him. They were continually pulling Jesus into a lot of their drama. They were so upset because the Romans and what was happening politically and all of that. And finally, Jesus said, give me a coin. Because they believed Messiah had come to kick out the Roman occupation. If you're, truly, if you're truly the Son of God, then you would be dealing with these Roman occupation that, we, that were so treated so badly and, and horribly and beaten by them. And they just knew Jesus would jump in the middle of it. He said, give me a coin. Here it is. Whose picture is Caesar's? Then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give to God what belongs to God. How many of us are more effective giving to Caesar than we have been giving to God. Giving to the things of this realm and this world, and God gets the leftovers. Revival is when he gets the first, the first love, the first manifestation, the first presence, going after him with all of our heart, mind, and strength. And that would be the last one I would give him. So to build a strong marriage is, first of all, the priority has to be in there to love the Lord thy God with all of your heart, mind, and strength. Choose a mate. Choose someone that loves God more than he could ever love you. Well, that didn't sound fair. Yeah, you'd be happy in the end. <laughs> because you can overcome lots of things. You can stand together against the gates of hell. You'll believe God for supernatural things to happen. If you're a good steward of your time and good steward as, your, as a worship for God, he will fill your rooms with riches. He'll fill your room and your capacities with great and wondrous things. But he must be first and foremost... Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I'll make all these things come unto you. I, I believe in the prosperity of the gospel. I believe in the prosperity of the soul. I believe in the prosperity of life because it's influence. But here's the thing. If my whole purpose is to get prosperity here that does not equate into the heavens, then I've lost everything. Because the foundation stands sure. If we departed from iniquity and we, we, he knows those who are his, he's put a seal on us, then everything here will be equated to there. Stand with me if you would. I started out with saying, if all we needed was love, then we wouldn't have any problems. But there's more than that. First of all, first and foremost, if you love God with all of your heart, mind, and strength, every part of your being, then that is the love that will be passed on to everybody else. Passed on to your children, passed on to your life. 
The word stewardship is oikonomos, which means to oversee the wealth of another. Since we don't really own anything, he owns everything. So a steward means I'm overseeing what he gave me. So what, I, what am I doing with what he's already given me is a determining factor with what I can do in the future. The keys of success is not just working harder, but working under him and letting him bring the supernatural, filling the house with all good and precious things. Matthew 12, 44 says, when the, the thief comes to the house and he finds it swept and cleaned out, he'll test and try to come back in with seven demons worse than himself. So the house represents our capacity, it represents our marriage, it represents our family, all of those things. So let the house be built with wisdom. And wisdom is, I've got to fill the house and leave no room for the enemy to come in. So I want you just to hear the Holy Spirit right now. If there's anything that's caused the foundation of your relationship with God, with one another, or with a spouse, just begin to recognize There's one foundation, and that's Christ. And then I build upon that foundation. You build on that foundation. And that foundation has to be submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ in every aspect. The Bible says, train up a child in the way that shall go, and when they're old, they'll not depart from it. How many trained a child up right, and they departed? But what it's saying, if if you train them up on the right foundation, You have built something into them. At some point in time, they will have to make choices for themselves. It's not a guarantee. But knowing the fact is you built into them something that of supernatural worth. And you're responsible to God only to to walk out righteousness before them. So God, I pray right now. Anyone that's dealing with afflictions in their body, afflictions in this, just in their marriage, conflict, whatever it is. Instead of saying, you know, if you do this or you do that, it's simply one simple thing is, I need to go to the one who's the author and the finisher of my marriage. He can fix it. I was telling you that story where I was counseling with this couple and they were cursing and doing all this stuff saw these demonic things on them with the loudest voice I could I just stood up and I said shut up can't say it was the right thing to do but it worked and I walked out and I said you're not ready to have a godly marriage you're right fighters and you're looking to prove that you're right not righteous and I went on down the road got a call back later just minutes later and said what would you say to those people in there I just told them to shut up <laughs> maybe it's the most prophetic thing I've ever said I don't know and I said I couldn't help them they were more interested in me weighing out the balance one bad over the other bad and who was the baddest of them all I said you're not ready to hear God so I don't even I said I don't even know if you're saved I walked out he said, well, I, 
I heard them in there. I heard crying, loud voice. They walked in. They were kneeling, holding hands, repenting to one another. Sometimes we need to get out of the way and let the one who created marriage come in and to bring healing only that he can do. If you're dealing with financial issues and seem to be nothing works and continually the enemy comes to steal, then look to see, is my life and foundation correct? Am I giving Jesus the first? If I'm giving him the leftovers, am I giving every part of my life? Do I look to him first and foremost? Do I let him have the first touch of the day, the first words of the day? Or I only talk to him when there's a crisis going on. Then look at it and see, and my foundation's got cracks that could fall through. So Father, right now, I pray over every person, the relationships from one end of this building to the others, because a relationship reflects how we see you. We need you for us to live together. We need you to help us have understanding. We need you to build the house with wisdom. We need you to fill all of the rooms with knowledge of you.